Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, lead pastor at Hope, and we are so glad you're listening in wherever you are. In this moment of social distancing, we hope that our audio and streaming resources meet you where you are at and help you stay connected to God and to His promises. All right, this time I want to invite you to grab a Bible. If you don't have your own, you can, of course, look this up on the internet. And turn with me to Psalm 16. Psalm 16. If you basically flip your Bible open to the middle, you'll find the book of Psalms. We're turning to Psalm 16. I'm glad we're exploring the Psalms this summer uh, because they are designed to get to the heart. Maybe it's no accident that the Psalms are at the heart of your Bible because Psalms get to the heart. And in our age of information overload, what we need is not more information. What we need is more transformation. And so we may mentally agree in our heads, for instance, uh, that God is in control. We may agree with that in our heads like a math equation, uh, but are we experiencing rest in our, in our hearts, in our soul? And see, the Psalms are designed to do that. They, they are songs. They are songs. We may uh, these days use them more for prayer, but, but when you're doing that, do you know you're praying a song? They're songs. And what do songs do? They do more than teach. Songs preach. They, they get under your skin. They move you. If there's a song you love and you love singing it, uh, even a song that's on the radio right now, I, I dare you, print off the lyrics. Look at the lyrics. It doesn't really do the same as when you're singing it, does it? Well, the same is with the Psalms. They're meant to move you. They're meant to actually transform you. And so when singing about the sovereignty or the control of God, your heart can actually begin to rest as you're singing. And that's what I'm praying would happen this morning in Psalm 16. Psalm 16 is all about security. Many of us may check the box that says, I have my security in the Lord. Check. But our hearts are deeply insecure. Do you know what I mean? You agree that my identity and my security is in the Lord, but if you are honest right this very moment, your hearts are deeply Insecure. So what do we do? Well, God would have us engage Psalm 16 so that security in the Lord moves from a slogan to a lived experience in our lives. And so I'll read the text and, um, and you can follow along. And we'll pray and then we'll dig in. This is Psalm 16. A victim of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen in me and ple- fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. 
In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And Lord, with the words of my mouth and with the meditation of all of our hearts here together, be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer and spirit. Anoint this time. Empower this time. Bring these words home to our hearts so that we would not learn new things so much as we would see and sing of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, every time uh, my family leaves for a vacation, I want to make sure that everything in my house is safe and secure. I'm always the last person out of our house. Sometimes my my wife will actually drive around the block with the kids and then pick me up last. Why? So that I can make sure the windows are locked, so I can make sure the faucets are off, so I can make sure that the doors are all locked. And I tell myself in those moments that I will not really be able to rest on this vacation unless I know for a fact that my house is safe and secure. You know what, to be honest, this is actually how I approach all of life. For me to rest, for me to to feel okay, I need to feel as if everything in my life is safe and secure. If you've been uh, around Hope for long enough, you've heard me talk about Linus. Linus from the comic strip strip, uh, Peanuts. I'm just like Linus. I have not outgrown my security blanket. I still carry it around. It's just morphed as I age. And so in high school, my security blanket was the approval of others. I felt okay. I had a basic okayness. As long as everybody, I felt approved of me. And so getting decent grades, doing decently at sports, making sure I sat at all the lunch tables, uh, making sure I didn't ever make an enemy, these were all threads in my security blanket. In college, my security blanket was grades and academic success. I remember dropping out of Accounting 101, which explains a lot, early enough in the semester so that I would get a withdrawal, um, basically a pass withdrawal, instead of a bad grade. I couldn't, I couldn't stomach the idea of getting a bad grade. I remember panicking after my economics exams when I left half of my blue book empty. Good grades were threads in my security blanket. After college, my security blanket morphed into ministry success. Suddenly, my GPA really didn't matter. What mattered was that I was successful and viewed by my family and my peers as gifted in ministry, as anointed by God. And so, as long as I had success, I felt secure. And now that I'm nearing my 40s, my security blanket has morphed into something else. It's a certain vision of the good life. As long as my life is good, as long as my life is well-rounded and healthy, so long as I hold the right opinions, so long as my children don't break my heart, so long as my neighbors respect me, that's the security blanket that I need to have beside me at all times in order to feel okay. And I think we all have our own security blankets. Whatever it is that makes us feel okay, our okayness, whatever that's rooted in is a security blanket. David Zoll, he makes the point that as America becomes more and more secular, we're actually becoming more and more religious. It's just that the new religion doesn't look like the old religion. Uh, The new religion worships at the altar of things like busyness and romance and parenting and technology and work and leisure and food and politics. 
And these eight things that he lists can function, therefore, as gods in disguise. Gods who require sacrifice and obedience. Gods who will banish you to their version of hell when you fail them and disobey them. And so these things, like, like, like all false gods, offer a false sense of security. So as long as we're busy, we feel safe, right? As long as we have romance, we feel safe. As long as we are parents or the right kind of parent, we feel safe. As long as I have the right technologies or we as a culture have the right technologies uh, to, to prevent this or to prevent that or to augment this or to augment that, we feel safe. As long as we have work and the right kind of work, we feel safe. As long as we can afford leisure and show everybody that we have the right kind of leisure, we feel safe. As long as we eat right, we feel safe. As long as we have the appropriate political views and the, and the appropriate political outcomes, we feel safe. The only problem is that none of these things are guaranteed. If anything, what is guaranteed about these things is that they will fail you as they have before across the millennia. They will fail you. They are guaranteed to fail. None of our security blankets actually work. They make us, if anything, more insecure. The harder we grip it, the more it frays and falls apart. And I think that's why this season of our lives have been so disorienting for all of us. It's because all of our typical security blankets are being ripped out of our hands. There's a lot to lament about this, as we've been doing for the past few weeks, but what if this season of life without our security blankets is the prelude to actually a great revival that's happening amongst God's people? What if we stopped relying on our old tried and, and what we think are tried and true uh, security blankets in order to find real security in Jesus? What if Jesus was exalted more these days in our hearts as our true security? Well, that's why Psalm 16 is a psalm for us right now. Uh, it focuses our heart on true security. It tells us why there's only, that there's only one pathway to being truly okay. It answers the question, how can I be okay deep down when everything around me is not okay? And the first answer this song gives us is to ask for it and to ask for it from God. We need to ask for it. David teaches us in verse 1, if you take a look, he says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I like the NIV. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. And so the first step in having true security is asking God for it. Why God? Well, first of all, because God alone is strong enough to bring real security. David asks God for security because he knows that God alone can be his refuge. And when all false securities fall away, what is left? God. God alone is our refuge. And he alone, as creator, sustainer, and redeemer of all things, he alone is our refuge and could be our refuge and could protect us. But second, because God alone is gracious enough. David doesn't just ask God to be his refuge, does he? He asks my God to be his refuge. He asks his God to be his refuge. 
the ancient church uh, used to say that the gospel is in the possessive pronoun. God is not just strong enough to keep me safe as God. He is gracious enough to keep me safe as my God. Grace is the commitment of God to a sinner. God is more committed to you in Christ than you will ever be to Him. And that is grace. And that's why we entrust ourselves to God as our refuge. Let's say I'm a mountaineer and I'm suddenly caught in a terrible snowstorm. And it's not enough for me to spot a base camp that is a stronghold against the storm. I also need to know that they will be hospitable to me and will let me in. And you see, that is God to all who come to him in need. The only requirement for God's refuge in this passage is that you confess your need of him. Did you know that? That's the only requirement to come to God in need is to, is to confess your need. For you to enter his refuge, you need to drop your false security blankets, all of them. And what you get is an amazing trade-off, false security for true and eternal security. And isn't that you today? Aren't you fed up with false securities? Don't you want the real thing? And then walk, so, so do this, walk to God, walk up to God and ask him. But to ask him, you really need to drop all your false trusts. And so what are those today? Think of that. What are those today? What are you leaning on? What are you standing on for refuge? For you to feel okay right now, this very moment, what do you think you need? Well, this is an invitation to release that grip and to ask God for the real thing. Let these false trusts fall to the ground. drop them. You know, Linus drops his security blanket, I think, only once, ever. And it's at the most unlikely time, because he's in front of his whole school. In fact, he's at a pageant. And you would think that he would need that the most at that moment. But what he's asked to do at this pageant, because it's a Christmas pageant, is recite the birth narrative of Jesus from Luke. And as he's reading the Gospel of Luke, he gets to the birth of Jesus, the all-powerful refuge, becoming vulnerable like a baby for you, so that we could come to God, not just as God, but my God. And when he comes to that miraculous, grace-laden birth, he drops his blanket. See, you can drop your false securities too because God is not just God. He can be your God in Jesus. And so start today. Start now. In fact, at this very moment, let's use this first verse. I'll just pray it and pray it with me. Preserve me, O God. Preserve me. Oh God, make that your prayer. Preserve me, oh God. Keep me safe, oh God. For in you and in you alone 
I take refuge. Okay, but Psalm 16 isn't done with us yet. Verse 1, we could stop there if we wanted to, but there's more. We ask for security, but secondly, we anchor our security daily in the Lord. That's just what David does in verses 2 through 7. I'll read these verses again. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. And so we see here that David is encouraging us to take true security by anchoring our security in the Lord. And in particular, communion with God, the community of God, and the counsel of God. So first, true security is anchored in communion with God. Verses 2 and 5, if you look down at the text, belong together. They tell us that communion with God is the ultimate prize. David says in verse 2, he says, I have no well-being apart from you, God. That's what he's saying. I have no well-being apart from you. Apart from you, I have nothing. The gifts of God, in other words, good as they may be, cannot ultimately be his, the source of his well-being. God himself, the giver, not the gifts, the giver, is his well-being. And then in verse 5, David says, God, you alone are my portion and cup. You see, true security is anchored in communion with God. It's God alone who is the prize. It's not the stuff he gives. And sometimes we do that. We, we confuse the gifts with the giver. But David here is reorienting our hearts to show us that God the giver is the only gift we need. Secondly, we see true security is anchored in the community of God. So verses 2 and 5 belong together. Verses 3 and 6 belong together. They tell us that real security is anchored not just in our individual identity, but also our community identity as God's people, as God's own. Security comes in this status. So verse 3, we're called the saints, which just means set apart from, for God. And then in verse 6, we're compared to the Levitical priesthood in the Old Testament who didn't get land, but got the Lord for their inheritance. And they were so glad. They didn't begrudge that. Why? Because again, God is the ultimate prize. See, real security comes when our fundamental security is in God and in God alone. Security is not who we are so much as whose we are. And then third, true security is anchored in the counsel of God. So verse 4 and verse 7 belong together. Uh, they tell us that there's safety in God's ways, His counsel. He's not just some abstract fire insurance against eternal judgment and hell. What He is, is He's a good God who, yes, protects us and saves us from eternal judgment, but also today gives us good advice and a good pathway for His children. So that verse 7 proves that God is not silent. He doesn't leave us to ourselves today, but he gives us counsel uh, from his word and through prayer. And in verse 4 is therefore a warning. It says, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. That's a warning. There's a misery multiplier effect with idolatry. Idolatry. We will spiral, in other words, if our okayness is anchored 
in anything other than the true God. It's like a road trip gone wrong. So what if you're on a road trip and about 60 miles out, you notice you're running low on gas. And so you stop at the nearest exit and you then stop at the nearest gas station and you look at the prices on the signs and you notice that unleaded is going for this much. And then you see right next to it that diesel is going for a lot cheaper. And you think, what harm would it do for me to put diesel in my car? And besides, it's cheaper. And we can spend this money down the road on our road trip, on something else. The only problem is when you do that, you're forgetting that that's not the way the engine was designed to run. And so what happens? You think you're solving problems by saving money. But you're actually multiplying them. Because 100 miles down the road, the highway on the highway, your car breaks down. And then from that, more of a mess happens. And then from that, more of a mess happens. And then from that, more of a mess happens. And that's what this psalm is getting after. Because that's how idolatry works. Idolatry can come in many forms. There's religious idols, and there are secular idols. But what they both have in common is that you are finding your ultimate you're finding your ultimate trust or your ultimate love or your ultimate obedience in something besides the true God. Where is your ultimate love? Where is your ultimate hope? Where is your ultimate trust? Often, think about what's the first thing you think of when you wake up in the morning. That's, a, that's one trail, a really well-worn trail to something that you're finding your ultimate trust in. There are other ways that we can think about this, and I would encourage you to think about it. And it can be tricky because oftentimes our functional idols are hiding because they're good things. They're very good things, things that God gives to his children as gifts. They have become ultimate. They've usurped God from his throne. You know, something as good as family and family life can become a functional idol. Or a vision of the good life. It can become a functional idol. Why? Because it's sitting on the throne and you've pushed God aside. Well, this psalm tells us to turn from these and to embrace true security in God because these don't deliver. And they ultimately end in judgment. So for real security, we need to ask God for it, and then we need to anchor ourselves in it, and then finally we need to anticipate the security that he promises. And we see this in verses 8 through 11, towards the end, where we sing, I have set the Lord always before me, because he's at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. For flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to shale or the, or the grave, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And so in this passage, David unpacks what true security feels like, what it really looks like. And in this, this is really the opposite of multiplied sorrows. It's the fullness of joy, verse 11. This is the security that God alone brings. It's an eternal security. It's an unending security. And by singing this song, we stoke our anticipation in our lives for this. And we even can experience this, this uh, security substantially in our lifetime through the Holy Spirit. And so what should we anticipate? Well, two things. 
confidence and joy. We can anticipate surprising confidence because God is our strength. Verse 8 says, When we drop our security blankets and trust in the Lord, we will not be shaken no matter what comes, no matter what happens in life. How? Because the Lord is at our right hand. This phrase means having an advocate with you at court or having a defender beside you in battle. So imagine the confidence that he would have if you actually lived as if Jesus was at your right hand at all times. Jesus who stopped storms. Jesus who who commanded demons. Jesus who brought the dead to life with words from his vocal cords. This Jesus at your right hand. Well, it's true. It's true. If your faith is in Jesus, it's true. He is at your right hand. And so kids, if you're listening right now, as you go to school this week, Jesus is at your right hand. Parents, as you send your kids to school this week, Jesus is at your right hand. Church, as you share the gospel, Jesus is at your right hand. As you walk into work, Jesus is at your right hand. As you meet with your counselor, Jesus is at your right hand. As you apply for a new job, Jesus is at your right hand. As you start fresh, Jesus is at your right hand. And we can have a surprising confidence when our trust is in the Lord. Second thing we have here is in verse 9, a sturdy joy. This isn't a contingent happiness. No, no, no. This is a sturdy joy because it's anchored in the sturdy promises of God himself in verses 10 through 11. God promises not to abandon us even in death, and he promises that somehow death will not even have the final word in our life. We can have a sturdy joy that's not contingent on circumstances when the worst case scenario in our life, death itself, is no longer the worst case scenario. God places us on a path of life that starts today and is never ending. About a month ago, my family, we were watching the live-action film version of Cinderella again. And so I got to explain to my boys how we got the phrase, If the Shoe Fits. And I loved how in, they, I loved how in this movie they depicted the kingdom-wide search for the foot that fits the shoe. And they couldn't find anybody who would fit. Well, reading these last few verses of this psalm might feel the same way. If you're like me, you're probably saying, this is a great promise, but honestly, it doesn't fit me. It doesn't fit me. Because verse 8 says, I have set the Lord always before me. And honestly, that's not me. I've not done that. So often I don't put God first. So how can this security that flows from that be mine? The shoe doesn't fit. And you might be tempted even right now to just tune out. To just tune out of this promise. And to say maybe another day. Well, let me just say this. The shoe didn't fit for even the author of this psalm. The person who wrote this psalm couldn't really sing verse 8. 
as one scholar puts it, even David, King David, was punching above his weight with this psalm. Because we know from his life story that he didn't always put God first. But generations later, after King David, this poor and uneducated fisherman, Peter, encountered someone who did fit this psalm. And in particular, verse 8, perfectly. He saw it with his own eyes, a person who fit this and lived this and embodied this verse. I have set the Lord always before me. And in the most famous sermon of all time, at Pentecost, this man, Peter, quotes this psalm to say, Finally, there is one person who has sang this song, who has prayed this song, and who has lived this song fully and completely. You see, Jesus alone kept God in front of him at all times even when it meant that he would sweat blood and shed blood on the cross for you and for me. He went to the cross for the joy that was set before him, even when it meant at greatest cost for himself. And he was placed in a grave. But he was not abandoned. Jesus alone did not see corruption in the grave. He was resurrected Why? So that death would not have the final word in your life. And so if you pray this psalm and you find yourself failing, as Jack Miller would say, cheer up. You're actually a lot worse than you realize. But cheer up. You're way more loved in Jesus than you realize. Because you are loved to the very depth of your failure and beyond. Jesus obeyed and fulfilled this song perfectly so that you cannot ever be condemned by it. And so that you would sing it today and taste the eternal security it gives you. We can drop our security blankets because we have Jesus. And so God, we come to you And we come to you letting go. We let go of all of our security blankets so that we could indeed experience in our souls the true security that comes from you. If we've never trusted you, Jesus, we do so now. We stop trusting in ourselves, in all of our safety schemes, and we now lay hold of you, Jesus. Would you put us on the path of life? Even now, even now as I pray, would we taste and experience the security you bring? Would you bend from our future, which is eternal security in the new heavens and new earth? No eternal judgment. Would you bend that eternal joy into the present? so that we would taste by the Holy Spirit a measure, a gulp of the joy that is to come today. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our church and for more resources like this, visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.